Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. We're continuing our series in the fruit of the Spirit. And every week I've given you a quick synopsis of what we've learned so far about what the fruit of the Spirit is. And we know that the fruit is an outward manifestation of our inward nature. When you see a banana hanging on a tree, what do you assume? No, not that you're hungry. You assume that it is a banana tree. When you see these nine traits in someone's personality, you know that they are a quote-unquote Jesus person. What does that mean? Well, you know that they're a Jesus person because we know that there's only one fruit. There's one fruit with nine different flavors. One fruit, nine different flavors. You can't pick and choose these flavors. In other words, we said last week that, you know, I'll take joy but I'm going to go ahead and pass on patience. It's not my strong area, Lord, so I'm going to ask that you just give me the joy and let's just forego that patience part because that's where I trip up, right? I don't want anything to do with that. Well, the Lord says that we cannot do that. We have to exhibit all nine of these traits in our lives as a Christian. And we're going to examine that a little more this morning as now we are two-thirds through this a uh, series of the fruit of the Spirit. So you got a little bit longer in Galatians 5.22. I apologize. But again, like when we went through Romans, you're going to have this memorized by then. So it's a good thing, right? But Galatians 5.22, the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And as a society, we tend to lump people into two categories. And those categories are good people and bad people. And I'm going to call out the names of some famous and certainly some infamous people, and I want you to tell me whether they are good or bad. Ready? Adolf Hitler. Ronald Reagan. Now, some of you might think differently. I'm just, I was waiting to hear. I'm just, okay. I'm just, Ronald Reagan. President. Osama bin Laden. Mother Teresa, Joseph Stalin, Coach Tom Landry, oh, come on. No, he was, he was a good guy. Bonnie and Clyde, Billy Graham, Chief Justice John Roberts. Ooh, ooh, okay. 
I thought that might stump some of you. But it's, this is an example of for me to get you to understand that goodness isn't as clear cut as we might think. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about goodness, what it is, and what it's not. So the question this morning becomes, what makes something good or someone good? The first time we see the word in the Bible is in the very first chapter of Genesis. As God was creating the universe, there were six times he created a portion of the universe and he saw that it was good. But when God looked at Adam all alone in the Garden of Eden, he said what? Ah, it is not good for a man to be alone. So he said, Adam, I've got a deal for you. He says, I'm going to give you a wife and she is going to be perfect. He's excited, right? She will always look great. And every night she'll massage your neck. She'll cook delicious meals. She'll never nag or complain. Uh, Yeah, I know. But in other words, she's going to be perfect. And Adam said, that sounds good. But what's it going to cost me? The Lord said it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. So Adam thought about it for a minute and he says, well, what can I get for a rib? And of course, it didn't actually happen that way. But God put Adam asleep and took one of his ribs and he had a spare rib. But God took it and he turned it into a prime rib, right, gentlemen? He got Eve. And when Adam saw her for the first time, he said, whoa, man. So God called her woman. No. But seriously, after God created the male and the female, the Bible says God saw that and it was very good. Now it would be very easy to look at this and, you know, it's comical and I've put it in a very funny way. But there is a very serious concept that we need to grasp. Is that in the eyes of God, all things can be good. All things can be good. But we as sinners mess that up, don't we? And as we talk about goodness, I want to make three statements to you this morning to help you understand the spiritual fruit of goodness. Because I think the definition of goodness has been very much used too much. It's very trite. But first of all, I think I speak for everybody here when I say that we want to be good, right? We want to be good. It would be easy to pass this fruit over because the word good is rather weak. In our vocabulary, let me show you. We throw the word good around a lot. Here are some of the ways we use it. Good morning. Have a good day. Good night. Good job. Good game. Good luck. Good luck with that. Good move. Good hair day. Yes, I know. Good to know. Good to go. Good looking, looking good. The good life, good, clean, fun. Good idea, 
Good to see you. It's all good. Feeling good. Looks good to me. That's not good. So far, so good. It's too good to be true. A good time was had by all. You good and ready? Is that milk still good? I feel good. For good measure, good riddance. It does my heart good. Your guess is as good as mine. It's for your own good. And if you got all that, good for you. From the beginning of our lives, our parents tell us to be good little boys and good little girls. When I was a teenager, I went through a very rebellious stage. And I can recall when my parents said to me when I left to hang out with my friends, now be good, but have fun. At that time, I thought that being good and having fun were two totally opposite things. Wanting to be good is a worthy goal. And I think we all have that goal. George Orwell wrote, On the whole, human beings want to be good, but not too good and not quite all the time. And that quote reminds me of the mischievous little boy who prayed, Dear God, make me good, but not too good, just good enough that I don't get a spanking. (laughs) Going to church is a good thing to do. But make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Are you here to meet and worship God? Or are you here because... You think it might increase your business contacts or that people might view you in a holy aspect. You see, goodness is doing the right thing, but for the right reason. The Bible really is the good book because it has a lot to say about what is good. The Greek word for good, agathos, and it appears over 250 times in the New Testament, the, the Hebrew word for good is tov. And that appears over 350 times in the Old Testament. So if you were to visit Israel, and I know some in this room have, you would use the word because the way you say good morning in Hebrew is boker tov. Boker tov, which is literally morning good. Morning good. And I'm sure some who have traveled there, and instead of saying Boker Toe, they just say Broken Toe. <laughs> broken Toe. And I, <laughs> it might be strange for others who are traveling there and tourists when someone would might start saying Broken Toe. But that's almost exactly what it sounds like when you're saying the Hebrew version of Good Morning. You could say, under your breath, Broken Toe. They'd be like, oh, Boker Toe. Okay, all right, good. But we don't have to wonder what good is because God gives us three guidelines for goodness in his good book. And I know you're going to be sick of the word good by the time I'm done, but that's all right. 
But his good book gives us something good here. The prophet Micah wrote, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. Directions of what it means to be good. To act justly means that you treat all people with fairness, with honesty and integrity. Some say honesty is the best policy. But for a follower of Jesus Christ, honesty is the only policy. Loving mercy means showing mercy to those who most need your mercy. The word mercy in Hebrew literally means unexpected kindness. Last week I mentioned that true kindness isn't being kind to someone who can repay your kindness. That's just swapping. True kindness is shown to those who have no way of repaying that kindness. Question becomes, do you love mercy? Justice and mercy both direct us how to live in relationship with each other. But God saved the best for last, the best good, if you will. You can do what you should do is walk humbly with God. You can't approach God with arrogance by making demands that he treats you a certain way. When subjects approached a king, they had to bow down as they approached the throne looking at the floor. If the king directed them to stand and speak, they could look into his eyes. And that's the way that we approach the king of kings. Humbly, with our heads bowed. But there's a great promise that says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And we're also told that because of the blood of Jesus, we may boldly approach the throne of grace. So based on God's three guidelines for goodness, can you ask yourself this morning, how good are you? How good are you? If you think you're pretty good, then pay close attention to this next truth. And that next truth is, we cannot be good. We do not have the ability to be good. We think we're good because we compare ourselves to others. We look at our neighbors, our co-workers, and our friends, and if we're a little better than them, we feel pretty good about ourselves. The problem is, is that we're using the wrong standard if you're comparing yourself to other people. Because God's standard is perfect goodness and complete holiness. If you use the wrong standard, then all comparisons are useless. I've heard a funny story 
about two brothers who lived in a little community, and we're going to call them Bob and Old Tom. And those of you who've been here for a while knew of a Tom in our church, and we called him Old Tom. He's since then been with the Lord for a few years, but I think of him often, and I think of him quite fondly. So he gets to be in my story this morning. Bob and Old Tom. And Bob and Old Tom were the meanest, most dishonest, conniving men in the county. And they were moonshiners, robbers, all the above, right? These were not men that were held in high regard. They never darkened the door of the local church. And one day, old Tom had died. And Bob asked the Baptist preacher to preach his funeral, to which the pastor agreed. And Bob said to the preacher, During the funeral, I want you to say that old Tom was a saint. And the preacher said, Bob, you know I can't do that. Everybody in town knows what a mean scoundrel your brother was. To which Bob said, please, preacher, I'll donate $10,000 to your building program if you'll just say old Tom was a saint. Fast forward to the funeral. And the church was packed. For the funeral because everybody wanted to know what the preacher was going to say about old Tom. He said, folks, you know that old Tom was a mean-spirited, wicked man who never had the time for God. You know that Tom was a drunkard and a liar. He was mean as a snake. And then the preacher pointed to Bob and said, but compared to his brother Bob, old Tom was a saint. <laughs> of course, the pastor said, you can write that check now. <laughs> Some people read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and they try to live by those principles. And if they do, they think they're pretty good. After Jesus gave all the Beatitudes, he talked about murder, divorce, adultery, and revenge, and loving your enemies. Some people use those as a checklist, if you will, and check off their obedience in those areas. And if they check all the boxes, they think, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. But don't miss what Jesus says next. He says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Some people can be good most of the time, and most people can be good some of the time. But no person can be perfectly good all the time. Would you agree with me? That's just how it is. So before you start talking about how good you are, you need to look at these words from the Bible. In Romans chapter 3 and chapter 7, it says, There is no one... No one, no one who does good, not even one. I know that there's nothing good lives in me, and that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Can we relate to that this morning? Can we relate to that? I think all of us desire to be good and do good. But we have this anchor called a sinful nature that keeps us and it drags us down. 
You'll never really, try, you'll never really find true um, forgiveness and goodness until you admit that you do not have the capacity to be good. Bible says this about my heart and your heart. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible also says, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. It has been my experience as a parent, and it only confirms to me that children aren't born inherently good. We have good children. But what does that mean? I know this. They are born with a full-grown, selfish, sinful nature. We all were. They don't have to be taught to steal. They have to be taught not to steal. They don't have to be taught to lie. They have to be taught not to lie. But many of us are in denial about this truth in our lives and in the lives of our family and friends. Years ago, I listened to a story about a heartbroken mother whose son was going to jail for selling drugs, and this was his third offense. And the heartbroken mother cried her eyes out because she wasn't sure what to do. She didn't think he should be going to prison. But all she could say was, you know, deep down inside, Johnny's a good person. He's a good boy. But that's not true. Deep down inside, Johnny is like the rest of us. He's a bad boy. Abused wives excuse their husband's violent behavior by saying things like, even though he beats me, he's a good man at heart. No, ma'am. He's a bad man at heart. All of us are. We want to be good, but we can't be good on our own. So the solution is found in this third truth this morning that I'm going to bring to you, and that is Jesus. Jesus, he is not only good for you, he's good in you. In Mark chapter 10, a rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit this eternal life? And before Jesus answered his question, he posed his own question. He asked, Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus didn't say, Don't call me good. He accepted the title and said, only God is good because Jesus is good because God is good. And because Jesus is God, he's good. One of the prayers some parents teach their children contains two powerful statements about the nature and character of God. They pray, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. And I've also read some pro-environmental parents, and they've changed it a bit. And it says, God is great, God is green, let us keep his world so clean. I like the original one better. God is great, 
God is good. And both of those affirmations are bedrock truths about our Heavenly Father. Amen? The Bible affirms many times that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 86, 5 then says, You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. And then later in Psalm 106, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. When you came to Christ, Jesus took up the residence in your heart through the person of the Holy Spirit. You have access to this divine goodness. But it's not your goodness. It is the goodness of Jesus shining out through you. Let me illustrate this from an important event in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 18, Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments from God. And he makes a strange request of God. Do you know what he asks? He says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. In other words, Moses said, I want to see you face to face. God said, if you looked at my face, you would surely die on the spot. But here's what I'm going to do for you. I will let my goodness pass in front of you. And so when Moses asked to see God's glory, and God said his glory is best seen in his goodness, and when the goodness of God passed by Moses, and of course Moses was hidden in a cleft in the rock, But even a glimpse of this afterglow of God's goodness made the face of Moses shine. And it radiated. And Moses was not aware that his face was shining until he went back down to the people. And they said, Moses, your face is shining. It's so bright. So Moses had to wear a veil to cover the radiance that came from seeing God's electrifying goodness. In the New Testament, Paul compares us to Moses. He points out that Moses' radiance faded, but he kept wearing the veil so the people would think it was still shining. But understand this. We do not have to wear a veil. He writes, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. So just as the radiance of God was literally shining out from Moses, the power and goodness of Jesus can shine out through our lives. We don't have to wear a veil. Instead, God wants us to let it shine. Right? Let it shine, let it shine. Right? Walking in the Spirit is a daily, 
continual experience of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Jesus' personality was full of goodness. And when I allow his personality to fill my personality, goodness will be seen in me. Goodness will be seen in you. At funerals, you often hear preachers say, he was a good man or she was a good woman. What is the key to being recognized as a good man or a good woman? We find in a description of one of the early Christians named Barnabas. The Bible says he, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. Now those aren't two separate descriptions. They are connected. Barnabas was a good man because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I have been with you. But he will be in you in reference to the Holy Spirit. Before Pentecost, the disciples could only watch Jesus and try to imitate him and imitate his personality and actions. How frustrating that must have been. But after the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Spirit of Jesus no longer did they have to try to imitate Jesus. His personality was dwelling within them. And we have the same resource today. If you will concentrate on allowing the Holy Spirit of Jesus to fill you every single day, then you will be a good boy, a good girl, a good man, a good woman. God's plan for our life is that we will perform good works. The Bible says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are saved by grace through faith unto good works. But don't confuse the prepositions because good works doesn't save us. We are saved unto good works which of goodness means our salvation ushers those things of goodness into our life. Good works can never earn salvation but they are evidence of our salvation. If you are a Christian, you will be doing good things. But if you can't boast about them because we know that that's not goodness, that's God's goodness. Good works are not the root of salvation. They are the fruit of salvation. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before men, meaning doing good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So how can you know if you are truly saved and if there is good evidence in your life of your salvation? When people look at you and they see that there's goodness that you exhibit, are they giving you the credit? Are they giving you 
the glory? Or are they turning and giving the glory and credit to God? That is the best example of the kind of good works this is talking about. But in conclusion with all this, goodness is a very simple subject to teach, but it is a very difficult subject to understand. Meaning, it is within our human nature to think that we're good. We think that we're doing pretty good. Then you're like, well, maybe I'm not so good. And then it's, I'm not good. But really we need to be saying, what? We need to be saying that I am incapable of being good. But praise be to God who lives within me, exhibits his good through me. When we understand the definition of what it means to be good, that's when God can take you and your life and do wonderful things. God wants to do that in each and every life sitting in these pews this morning. And you might be thinking to yourself, there is no way the way I live my life, the way I have lived my life, that that's even possible, that God can do anything good through me. I am not a good person. Isn't it wonderful that God can see through that and see past that and already forgive you of that so that we could display goodness? We lost one of the good guys this last week with the death of Bob Barker. Most of you know who Bob Barker is. And some of you will associate him with the movie Happy Gilmore. But he will forever be the host of Truth or Consequences. And of course, the price is right. And he was an advocate and devoted animal activist and a proclaimed Christian. In his stints as a game show host, Bob Barker was portrayed as a good guy. And he was a familiar face for me when I pretended to be sick and stayed home and watched The Price is Right. In real life, Bob was a person who sought not to be in the limelight. And there are many ways this morning that we can define what it means to be a good person. One definition of good is that you follow the rules. You don't break the law. You don't commit crimes. You don't lie. You don't cheat. Another way to determine who is a good person is to ask others. Ask your friends, your family, co-workers. People who know you and can quote-unquote vouch for you and your qualities and character. Another more abstract way to define goodness is that at the end of your days here on earth, you leave it a better place. You have done good deeds, you've saved lives or souls or raised good children, made others happy, and the list goes on. Another approach that's used on good leaders stems from the ancient Greek philosopher and they emphasize character. Because according to Aristotle, there are four cardinal virtues that determines a person of good character. So an easy way to get on the path of goodness is to practice these four virtues. And I'm going to close this morning with these four. First of all, prudence. 
Someone's like, okay, prudence. What is prudence? It is another term for wisdom. Wisdom. But it involves being objective and reflective when deciding on courses of action. Prudent individuals learn to avoid making bad decisions. Needless to say, there's not many politicians who are prudent. But they value and they learn from others. To assess how prudent you are, consider this. Do you make life decisions by studying information and listening to the advice of trusted friends and relations and have them check facts? Do you choose courses of action that are based on what you ought to do? For example, would your parents approve of this course of action? Secondly, we must have temperance. And this virtue focuses on moderation. In other words, not being too extreme. It involves controlling your passions and not acting out. Do you manage your emotions, particularly the dark ones? Do you avoid the lure of power, wealth? And do you have perspective on your own accomplishments? What do those mean to you? Do you get an overinflated ego when you accomplish something? Thirdly, we must have justice. And this virtue deals with being fair and respecting others. So do you treat others fairly, giving them credit when credit is due? Do you respect the rights of others? Do you treat others as you would want to be treated? And finally, we must have fortitude or courage. And this involves having the courage to stand up for what you believe in and do the right thing. Do you intervene when you see others being mistreated or abused? Do you have the courage to Take responsibility for your own mistakes and failures. Do you have a moral compass that you follow? And do you have the courage to do what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do? Although our work involves trying to help Christians assess and build their character via the fruits of the Spirit, which is why I dove into this sermon series, but... As we do that, we must know that these are important for everyone, not just leaders. And moreover, parents should foster these virtues in themselves and in their children. Because focusing on these virtues and checking your own behavior and working to become more virtuous in all areas of your life is the keys to becoming a good person. Notice I said, it doesn't make you a good person. It gives you the keys and the ability to do so. Because we do not have the ability to do that. So that key has to be that we have surrendered all to God. We have surrendered to the Holy Spirit. We have surrendered to the calling to which God has called us to do, to be. All these things. There's not a lot of ors or buts 
in this particular part of scripture. It's and, and, and. Because we have to do all these things. And so my final thought for you this morning is goodness won't get you into heaven. Only Jesus can. Ask the average person on the street how to go to heaven. And the, um, the number one answer is still the same. And it has been for forever. Be good. Do good. But as you can see, we do not have the human capacity for perfect goodness. We need to depend on the goodness and grace of someone better than us. And that someone is Jesus Christ. Here's how you go to heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, not just for me, not just for you, to all who believe. And all who believe in him will not perish, but they will have eternal life. The only good thing you need to do to spend eternity in heaven is to simply believe that Jesus is the only one who can take you there. And then you trust him to do it. You have to trust him to do it. And if you do that, I will leave you this. Good for you. Good for you. Ben. Hey, Juan, can you put up the first couple of verses of goodness of God? Did you all stand with me this morning? Isn't it ironic that when God calls us to something like goodness, it's something we can never attain? But it's also something that God perfectly is an example for. Look to Him um, in reading His Word and and following his instruction day in and day out. Um, and, like I said, have his example each and every day. So let's, let's close with this song. We were going to close with something else, but in talking about the goodness of God, let's, just, let's sing that out as we leave today.
my days I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head And I will sing Of the goodness of God the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. In darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend, and I have lived in the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I goodness of God, and I will sing of the goodness of God. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. We thank you so much for that grace and mercy you bestow upon us, even though we are certainly not deserving of it. Lord, we can only exhibit good things because you are in our lives. You have sent your son to be the example. And he died and the Holy Spirit in his place who resides within our hearts can lead us to that goodness. But Lord, we must surrender all. We must be servants to you in all that we do and all that we say. And Lord, we have opportunities laid out before us every single day. Lord, I pray that you focus our eyes on those and you give us the courage, the fortitude to press forward and to tell others about the goodness of you. Thank you, Lord, for our time together today. And I pray as we leave to our appointed destinations and throughout this week, I pray that we recognize the goodness in things and we recognize the goodness that you have prepared for us. Lord, we want to pray for those who could not be there or be here with us today for whatever reason that may have been, that you be with them and you show them your goodness, that you are still with them, that you care for them and that you will always keep your promises. Thank you, Lord, for being so good and so good to us. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day this week. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on Him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to Him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.